This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for Heart Mojo with Melinda Smith. And Melinda, you invited somebody back to our program, which I'm excited about. Um, but I don't think we were doing it on Zoom the last time. We I not. think we were just audio. Audio. Mm -hmm. So now everybody gets to see what everyone Paul looks Sobel. like today. Look at that. Hello. Hi, Paul. So nice so, to see you, Karen. Hi, Melinda. Nice hi, to meet Paul. You. So Paul's um, with a group called Village in the Heights, which I happen to be on the board for and have been for a very long time. And this group does a lot of important things in our area and hits the challenge of living at home and being a senior. So Paul, tell us a little bit about you and how you got involved with working with Villages. Thank you, Melinda. It's nice to be here tonight with you and Karen. Um, Village in the Heights started as a labor of love, and it remains one. I had a long career in that fortunately allowed me to do some things that I didn't think I would have the opportunity to do at my age. In other words, help out in the world. And um, I saw a need or a different way of aging in place. We don't have that too commonly in this country. And um, that's how we got, we, I think 10 years ago, it came to me. And after five years, we opened up and we've been moving ever since. So where did you hear about villages? Because you worked in the senior care industry, right? For a while, aren't you a nursing home administrator? Yes, I have a uh, license as a nursing home administrator. I'm also a certified dementia practitioner. Uh, so I can work with older people that have a variety of different issues confronting them in their lives. Mm -hmm. um, I had a mother-in-law, a blessed memory, who lost the one son that lived in town very suddenly that took care of her in her late 80s. And by taking care, I don't mean feeding mom or dressing mom. I mean the things that we all take for granted, taking mom's storm windows out in the wintertime and putting screens up, putting lawn furniture out, flipping a mattress, changing that light bulb that's recessed in a 12 foot high ceiling. That's all important. Right. And quite honestly, the best way to describe it is how neighbors help neighbors. Because when my late brother-in-law couldn't help brother-in-law, there was no one else in the neighborhood to really do that. Mm -hmm. And when each of the three of us, and I'm sure many of your listeners uh, and viewers will remember when we were growing up, our parents reminded us consistently to look after the neighbors. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're doing today. So where did the village come, like the concept of the village, where did you see that or hear of it that you decided, <clears throat> oh, this is something I need to bring to Cleveland? Okay, good question, Melinda. I don't take credit for it. No good idea is ever that original. Um, what, what I think happened was uh, when my mother-in-law had lost her son, I... Um, uh, heard about the village in New Haven where they lived called 
East Rock Village. And then it became Home Haven, both of which came about from Beacon Hill Village in Boston, um, as one would expect. Uh, when you're an older adult and you've been in academia all your life, you become a bit transient, even if you've had a family and moved around with them. Your last career position might have been after the children were grown up and stayed in one town and you moved on to another. So there existed in Boston a lot of old people that had no one to look after them except themselves and their community. And they decided to utilize each other's skill sets and talents. It wound up catching on in the other, what I like to call first mover cities. Uh, after 2000, when Beacon Hill got started, there were a couple in DC, there were a couple in New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, California. And by the time I had heard about it in 2012, which was about 10 years after the movement began, um, there were probably 70 of them. Now there are over 300 of these wow. organizations. These are all nonprofit. No one in a village makes money. And actually, most people that work in a village are volunteers. Mm -hmm. Over half of the villages are volunteer-driven, including our own. Yep. So this there's only one in actually. Well, so give us a location. I mean, I know the location, but give the listeners I'm the happy. parameters of how we operate in Cleveland. I'm happy to. Uh, villages are best when they are compact because they need to resemble a neighborhood, as I mentioned before. So if you want someone to help members of a village with a volunteer service, whether it's picking them up and taking them to get their eyes examined or go to the grocery store, play mahjong or bridge uh, or anything like that, you can't expect these people to give up their time when you live a half hour away. So the benefit of a village is most of our volunteers live near most of our members. In fact, many of our volunteers are our members. Right. And they drive within 10 to 15 minutes to help each other out. Um, the village is on the east side right now. We have expanded to the point where, if I could tell you geographically, we operate fully now in the following cities, Beechwood, Shaker Heights, Cleveland Heights, University Heights, Mayfield Heights, Hearst, South Euclid, and I don't think I missed anything, did I? No, I think that's pretty much everywhere. Okay, that's a pretty so big area. It is. It's a pretty big area, and uh, that's a lot of people need help. Uh, there is another village in Cleveland. It's on the west side. It's called Side Village. And it takes care of residents living the um, Hingetown, Lake uh, Edgewater, mm -hmm. Ohio City area. Um, there are other villages eventually starting up. I, I really believe that before long, we will find that there are cities that have three, four, five, six villages. Well, doesn't Columbus, Ohio have five or six villages? Yes. I think they yes. do. 
they have quite a few. Washington, D.C. Now, mind you, people think of Washington as a metropolis. It's really not a very large town. No. The city of Washington proper, the District of Columbia, has 15 villages because of all the people that have worked there over the years that have been in government or NGOs and have chosen to stay. Well, and villages have, so I was lucky enough before the pandemic to go to one of the conferences um, with you in Chicago. Yes. And what I found out is every village is unique to its area and its needs and how the people want to put it together. So for instance, our Lakewood side of town in Cleveland does more social activities, Mm -hmm. less in the home. That's what they provide to the seniors. In Washington, for example, they've expanded to other healthcare services that they help bring to people. Now, what does our village do locally? Good question. Our village operates on what I like to consider a three-legged stool. And if you think about it, three legs, uh, a three-legged stool with any less legs is precarious. Four, you still have balance, but three, no. So we have a service component on one leg that is all about transportation. If a member needs a ride to the doctor, to the grocery store, um, we've even had a member ask us to drive them to the cemetery to clean their late parents' graves up. We don't do the cleaning, they do, but we'll drive you there. Um, We offer rides for pretty much anything that someone has a need for, not a trip to the jeweler or the dry cleaner, but um, food, essentials. We've even taken some people to religious services. Um, And because of the nature of where we are, in the Heights, if one of our members needs to go to either of the three main campuses for UH, Case, or the VA, I mean, uh, not Case, the clinic, we can take them there as well. So anyhow, um, that's one service level. The other is in-home. We don't do personal care, as I mentioned, but what we will do is come in and flip your mattress change a highlight bulb. Um, If you think your phone is smarter than you, we bring it back down to reality and teach you how to operate that thing. We can work with you on getting your printer fixed, your remote control fixed. I've changed faucets and doorbells. And- We take out garbage cans, help with leaf cleanup. We do. Matter of fact, we're reaching out now to the- um, more benevolent groups in our market area, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, you know, civic groups that in the springtime are going to have kids and not so little kids available to help grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, friend, older friend out in their yard. And then we also have programming. We And I didn't mention all that we do with the in-home work either. It it scratches the surface. We have programming. We have regular happy hours. Once a month, there are most attended events. We have volunteering at MedWish on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. We take people, the men eat out for breakfast. It's called Romeo, retired older men eating out. 
and the ladies have lunch, it's called Juliet. Just us ladies independently eating lunch. <laughs> we then also have diner rounds. When the weather's nice, we walk as a group. Every month we have chair yoga. None of these things cost the member anything. Well, we have cocktail events once a month as well, and they don't pay for that. They pay no. for their cocktails. They don't pay for appetizers. That's right. We want people to feel comfortable having a little bit of food from us. And while most of our members seemingly can afford to buy their own meals, one never knows. There's always a little yeah. bit of a... When you're working with older adults, no disrespect to their lifestyle or their financial acumen, but you always have to worry a little bit about food insecurity. Mm -hmm. And we have seen on occasion people who live in what I would consider very nice homes and driving very nice cars, eating a ton of food. And I know they're not going to have dinner that night. And I feel good that we have helped them out. So. We did that even during COVID. So why don't we talk a little bit about how COVID affected the village? COVID was not very nice to a lot of people around the world, including us. We went from getting together with people four or five times a week to um, hoping that we could see one another. And at, before the village, uh, before the COVID pandemic hit, we had 43 members. We shrunk drastically down to below 30. People weren't going anywhere. They weren't going out. Everything we did was virtual. And um, not everybody was good with virtual either. No. That no. was a dilemma. A lot of people feel as though, you know, COVID uh, or uh, Zoom or Microsoft Teams or any of those, um, Skype, are difficult. I can't hear you. I can't see you. What's a chat? I don't get it. So it, it didn't really work out. And it was fully a year and a half before we had one little event outside mm -hmm. on a nice summer day with coffee and donuts. I remember I was there. Yes, it was wonderful. But we did do some things to help the people who are at home, the challenge of them sitting at home. We did some bags. We gave them some goodie bags, a Valentine's Day cookies, holiday bags. We tried to come to, so they saw us at the door, but at least they saw a face that they knew. Right. Coming and bringing them some bag of cheer, so to speak, right? Right. And we did try to be available. We, we developed covid protocols with other villages around the country for ways we could drive people if they absolutely had to have a ride where like a doctor's appointment or yeah where the drivers will wear masks the riders will wear masks everyone will have gloves there will be wipes in the front seat and the back seat and neither shall the two come together unless someone needs help physically exiting their home, getting into the car, exiting the car, and going into the office. So uh, we made provisions if necessary, but it didn't happen that much. One of the things we found was a lot of people 
simply decided to wait it out. And um, we were very fortunate. Our our landlord was very understanding. They didn't pressure us for anything. And um, much like uh, a lot of good neighbors, they waited on us. So we're now trying to build up our membership again. We're now trying to, I think at this point, we have 40 members. Um, we have a few more coming. Uh, the big issue is letting people know that we are here for them, letting people know that we have their interests at heart and that we know that you might think all you, you we're offering you is a ride. It goes well beyond that. People are lonely. There are folks that say, I don't, I drive, you don't need me, I don't need you. There are people that say, I can take care of my own house and my own yard. I don't need you. Okay. Many of those same people though are incredibly lonely. Right. COVID, right. COVID made it much worse. Right. And right now, um, there are studies out there that have many people working in the elder care field alarmed. For instance, if you take, uh, this is from a study done in Chicago by the Mather Institute. If you take two different groups that have identical demographics in age and finance and health and everything about them, except one group smokes 15 cigarettes a day. The other group doesn't smoke anything, but is miserably, pitifully, sorrowfully lonely. Guess who is going to get sicker more often? And who is going to die sooner? The lonely people. Yes. The smokers will outlive them. We don't want that. <laughs> yeah. So the communities that you're in, you have churches and synagogues, you have doctor's offices and uh, everything that could get the word out, could let people know that, you know, this is what's available in your community. Are they working with you or working against you? Slow and steady, Karen. Uh, very few people work against us. Uh, I Oh, my goodness, what happened? I'm so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> You're just here. Anyway, um, what happened was in the case of... Um, there are some municipalities around here that think we uh, don't have a right to be in their business. It's unfortunate. I won't say whom they are, but there are organizations that are sponsored by the cities that we work with. And if you ask anyone in the nonprofit world that really, really, really cares about the work they do and the people they work with, they will tell you they don't believe that you can have competition in the nonprofit world. I talk with organizations that do a lot of what we do and overlap and what we do in many ways. We appreciate one another. However, some mayor that might be seeing their municipality donate 
X amount of money might think we're in the way. Well, that's ridiculous. We've never asked for anything from them. All we really want to do is have them refer us when they can't refer their program of choice. You can never have too much help in this industry. No. There's so many people in need. And there's so many areas that are underserved. And recently, right. the village is working on those on those areas. And what would those be, Paul? Well, let me let me digress first, Melinda. Answer Karen's question in part. She asked about faith organizations. Um, the, there are a number of faith organizations, particularly on the east side of town, that have become very, very open to our efforts. For example, I was in one yesterday in Cleveland Heights from 8.30 to 1 o'clock, 8.30 a.m. till 1 in the afternoon, meeting with the folks that came out, the congregants that left services. Each of the three services they had that morning were followed by coffee and donuts provided by us. We got to sit and talk. Many congregations these days, I'm sure if we belong to a congregation and any of us here or listening or watching, we all realize that they're shrinking these days. Sure. There are less and less people. And those that are going have a significant percentage of older adults and they are fading in their appearance too. I mean, their actual level of attendance. Sure. Right. So congregations are very worried about that. And they realize wisely that when people stop coming, then there are other things they stop doing too. And you can talk to any merchant in any community who will tell you whether their last name is Heinen or Saltzman uh, from Dave's or the Zagara brothers. When a family that has bought from you for 35 years moves out of town. Who moves in? A new environment, a new group of people that is now going to maybe buy from Aldi or Peapod or any of the bigger national chains. Similarly with the drugstores and the dry cleaners. So the the elements of a community begin to fray in a variety of ways. Now, Melinda, to your question, special interest groups. Um, one of the reasons that we're working more and more with churches and synagogues is they are beginning to understand the diversity of their followers. And by that, I mean, let's look side of Cleveland. Let's look at Cleveland Heights Beachwood Shaker University Heights alone. Um, there are a number of people of color in these areas. There are also a number of people who live a lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender lifestyle, LGBT. And let's not forget Q, queer. So it's LGBTQ. The single loneliest and most at-risk group of older adults is hands down the LGBT community for a number of reasons. There might not be anyone in their familial or 
uh, environment of loved ones to care for them as they get older. Um, that may be because they never had children and there are no younger family members to look after them. Or they may have been closeted and no one had any idea. Right. So-and-so or uncle, whoever, is gay. And they thought he or she just was a loner. Mm -hmm. Who still is going to take care of that person? There is also a big issue with medical practitioners. Right. Um, I know, I know a, and I never would have known this person was a trans woman, but I know a trans woman who still has to go to her gynecologist 30 years after transforming because her doctor says you're still a woman biologically. That's debatable, right. but she needs to get good advice that she doesn't get now. Let's take it a step further and look at those same physicians and think about people of color. We had a physician speak to us from Metro Health recently, very well-respected man, who described that even though he is a successful urologist and transplant surgeon, when his father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's at 83, he did not get the full care he needed because the diagnosis was late in coming and the family wasn't always in town and they didn't necessarily know what dad was or was not the beneficiary of in treatment and advisement. So people of color are often ill-advised and ill-informed despite all their best efforts. And it's not just in health and wellness. It's in so many other venues that we have to look at. And that is why the village is working so hard to reach out in programming to the LGBT community and communities of color. We are, I want to say here, we are not pandering. We are not patronizing anyone, but villages serve the communities they exist in. And if there are people in our community of a certain race or ethnicity or sexual lifestyle or gender preference, and they have needs for things that are not being met, it's incumbent on us to meet them. And, you know, granted, they could say, oh, you have nice events, you have nice programs, I don't need to come to those. Okay, you don't have to, but we want you to know that we're here for you for what you do need. Well, in socialization, particularly as you get older, right? If you give an example of somebody who may never have come out to their family, they're now alone. Yep. And there's nobody to socialize with. That affects their health, right? And mm -hmm. just knowing that you're accepted by a community, by a group, I think can make all the difference for one person, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I will only share one quick story. And of course, I won't mention her name. 
we had a an older woman who was a member of our group. She died almost a year ago. And she was in her early 80s. One might think she was in her early 90s. She was in pretty rough physical health, primarily bronchial and respiratory. Um, was rather a crusty person. I happen to like her. There was something about her that made me think, this is a tough old lady who really has a heart of gold. And she did. We became good friends. And it was never my business to ask her about her life. However, on one occasion, she, when we were in her apartment and I was bringing her some things she asked me to pick up for her, she started to tell me without using the words, I'm a lesbian and I've been closeted all my life. She basically said, and I'm paraphrasing, my lifestyle is not what my family would have wanted. And those that did know about it asked me not to tell anyone else. And I've been very lonely all my life. And my family has not been kind to me. Don't you just want to reach out? Right. Very sad. And that's Very the sad. thing about the group. I mean, and also there's so many, many of our volunteers, let alone our members, are older adults, right? They're 80. Some of our volunteers are in their mid-80s. But to be accepted by your peers, literally your peers, from a generation who felt not accepted. It's not like the young people today. You know, everybody sort of accepts everybody. You don't even know what pronoun they are. We just had a whole seminar on a pronoun. Yeah. Didn't move off. yeah. Um, but in this particular group, to be accepted by your peers, I think is huge. Huge. It offers healing benefits as well. Because mm -hmm. that's what she did by com coming out to you, basically, in her own way. Yes. That was a healing moment for her. Yes. And that was but critical for her. Absolutely. So I think the, our village does way more than the everyday things, you know, taking them to the store, picking this up, doing that, social activities. There's a healing piece to being involved in a village. That is a very good point. And uh, I think it's probably the best point you will make today, Melinda. Well, thank you, Paul. We heal. <laughs> we heal. Well, but even for me as a board member, and though I'm technically a senior, right, I'm not as old as some of the other members, but I enjoy their company. It is always oh. healing. When I've had a bad day, when I have a health issue, you know, they always come to my, my aid and they boost me up. And I think that that's something that you can't put a price on with the village. You can't. And that's what we did in neighborhoods many, many years ago. Right. You know? The big thing that I miss about community is whether it was cold and snowy or a beautiful summer night, you could knock on your neighbor's door if you needed something. You know, I, that, you know, the old thing, I'm going to go borrow a cup of sugar. Um, the first neighborhood that my parents lived in uh, and where I was born, there was a small group of Jewish families, but most, mostly Polish Catholics. And let me tell you, everybody ch cheered each other on, celebrated each other's holidays, looked out for each other. 
and then my parents moved out to the suburbs. We didn't have that again. Mm -hmm. And how sad. But we know as we do get older, we need those relationships. And we don't want to be, at least I don't want to be sitting in a facility where I'm just with people of my age. I want to be in a community with all kinds of people. Absolutely. Well, and you get to teach other people too, as you learn from them. You know, recently my, I took my mother who's in her eighties to a funeral. She was at a funeral with an old neighbor. They had, so I, when I was a child, Maple, they lived in Maple Heights for those of you in the Cleveland area. And I would spend my summers there and I got to hear the stories and the neighbors and we, we would, you know, play ghost in the graveyard and catch lightning bugs and do all those things in the summer that nobody really does anymore in their suburban area. But we went to a funeral of somebody she hadn't seen probably in 20 years, mm -hmm. maybe, but there's still that sense of community. They called each other. Yeah. Still my grandmother's, her best friend was a neighbor. Her children still check on me because they babysat me. Because the one woman was my mother's flower girl. Yes. So that's what we're missing. And I think the village, for what it can do, provides some of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Villages don't just have to be recipients of kindness. They can be, they can be generators of it. I mentioned that we go to Medwish now and then. Every other month, our members, about 10 or 12 of us, they limit how many can come down, go there, and we sit around for two hours and repackage catheters and other supplies and antiseptic medical supplies that are then sent all over the world. And I can't tell you how good these folks feel having doing that, having to do that. Well, it's, there's purpose. They yes. have purpose. There is purpose. There is meaning. Um, we have other groups that that are coming up that there's an interest in as well. One of the churches that we has invited us to use their space, and they are a a church like a lot of them that have shrunk in size, and have taken on other churches and congregations that can't afford a building anymore. They may have two or three congregations in one building. Those same churches also have food pantries. Mm -hmm. So we, in the last week, have decided as a group that we're going to approach this one church that we work with and say, you are so kind to us and you help us. How can we help you generate food to distribute to the community? There's a synergy there. That is, again, oh, what did I say? Neighbor helping neighbor. Love it. So important. So before, because I know we're getting close to our time. So we're a nonprofit. So tell us how do we get money? How do we move forward? And how do we help all these people? How do we do what we do? Okay. First of all, an organization our size um it does have some difficulty getting revenue generated at times. You're either too small to 
be under the eye of someone to take notice and say they've got a lot of potential or you're so big that ah, they don't need money. Okay, we're in between. We have always been a relatively self-sustaining group. Um, I think if we had to pay salaries for a director, we wouldn't be able to do it. Okay, I'm a volunteer. Yeah, if we had to have high rents, we have low rents. Thank you, university hospitals. Our utilities are next to nothing. Um, our costs are our programming, our liability insurance, because we want to make sure no one suffers. And if they suffer, that they're compensated. Um, and then we also have, um, you know, a desire to have robust and creative programming for people. That takes time and money. Uh, there is money available from the Older Americans Act, but just because it's available doesn't mean the uh, agencies that will donate it or see fit to grant it necessarily do that. Mm -hmm. um, we are a unique organization because we're virtual. We're not real estate. We don't have beds. We don't have exercise units. So for us to try and raise money, a lot of times people say, what do you need it for? Believe me, we do. We need to advertise to people to let them know we're there and we can help them. We need to promote that we always can use more volunteers. We need to develop a fund for those members that can't afford our nominal membership fees, which I, I won't mention them here specifically. I think they're better taken offline, but our annual fees as members are relatively low, yet even someone who couldn't afford them couldn't afford them. And we've been known to very quietly work with them without um, a lot of uh, losing a lot of dignity for the member. Uh, but we have a need for raising funds and reaching out into the community. And quite frankly, here's a good example. Um, we have a need for software package. Uh, all these organizations that I belong to, you belong to, they all have virtual software that runs their organization. Some is terrible, some is good, very few are great. We've had one that's weak and doesn't allow us to monitor and maintain our levels of accountability the way we would like them to. That means we need money for a better, easier upgrade. upgrade. Mm -hmm. We don't have it. We don't need a lot. I'm not talking about thirty or $40,000. I'm talking about $3,000. Doesn't sound like a lot to some. Sounds like an awful lot to others. Yeah. But to our little group, it's big. And we could use help. It's big because we also provide the programming. We also provide the social events. So if we were just, if you just look at one area, you're thinking, well, they can manage that. But nope. it's not. It's about expanding and reaching out to more people, which we've done, having more people involved and wanting to bring more people in to help them. Yes. So for that, we need funds. We need funds to be able to do that. And so we have some things coming up. We're looking at doing a health fair and bringing not only information out, but hopefully that'll 
that'll help us a little bit. But if somebody just wants to out and out say, you know what, Paul, I loved what I heard about the village. It's an amazing thing. And guys, it is. I will tell you my quick story before we close. So I was working at a job with seniors and I heard about this presentation in Beechwood and that's the first time I was introduced to the village. And the minute I was the very last person to leave that room, asking every question I could possibly ask of their guest who came in from Chicago, because I knew how important this was for community. So if somebody just wants to, you know, we're going to give Paul's information so you can reach out to him. But if you want to just help, I mean, whether it's $10 or whether it's $1,000, you got to know it's going to a good a good cause and it's helping people in the community. Yes. So I'm going to be shameless here. If someone wants to look up our website, it's www.villageintheheights, that's a plural, .org. And you'll see some good information and you'll say, that's yeah, nice. It's not easy to maneuver, but it's nice. That's my point. We need help making it an easy website to look through. Um, you could email me at info at villageintheheights.org if you have a question. You can always call our office and leave a voicemail at 216-297-3179. No, and that immediately sends an email to me when a voicemail has left. So call with any questions, any donations, any ideas for how to grow, any volunteering, any family member that you want to get involved, whatever. We are an open book for the community. Absolutely. Karen, and we'll you... put all that information in the show notes. So if you're listening and you said, I didn't get the phone number, I didn't get the website, don't worry about it. Just go to the show notes and you'll be able to find all that information. I thank you. Sometimes it's, you know, we're all about helping the large things and the food banks and, you know, the cancer organizations. And believe me, those are all near and dear to my heart too. But it's the everyday life things that make a huge difference. And that's what the village does. Absolutely. Everyday life. Thank Absolutely. you, Paul. Thank you. Thank for you, Melinda. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. I so appreciate your interest and support of our village and go heart mojo. Okay. Sounds Thanks, wonderful. Paul. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.